Welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry. It is written that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We invite you to study the scriptures with us, to learn about the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, the holy and anointed Lamb of God, the light of the world, the Savior of mankind. You can contact us with your questions and comments at covenantpeoplesministry.org or call us at 678-692-8870. You can also write to us at CPM Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. We look forward to hearing from you, and we pray that these messages of truth touch your lives. If you have been moved by these biblical teachings, please visit our forums online at covenantpeoplesministry.org and sign up to follow us on our YouTube channel, Covenant People. Thank you for joining us for another CPM broadcast. And now, here is our pastor, Jeremy Visser, with our next Bible study. Hello again, friends, and thank you for joining me, Pastor Visser, as we begin our look in the book of the minor prophet Haggai. And in order to actually teach this, I need to give you some statistics about this book of Haggai. Most biblical scholars or theologians agree that Haggai, as a book, was written in Palestine about 557 to 525 B.C. So a rough estimate in dating the book of Haggai is about 550 to 600 years before the coming of Yahshua. And Haggai is one of the few post-exile prophets. In fact, there's only three within the minor prophets. The first would be Zechariah. And Haggai and Zechariah were contemporaries. And they worked around the time that our historical book, Ezra, deals with. That is, in the rebuilding of the temple of Jerusalem. Now the third post-exile prophet is Malachi. And Malachi would come about a hundred years after Zechariah and Haggai. So, to put it in perspective, if you read the book of Ezra, and most assuredly we'll be referencing Ezra in this particular study, you can see that the Israelites were rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. But along come the Samaritans. And the Samaritans, through their action, through their bewitchment, and through them withholding us, caused the temple to lie in ruin and not be rebuilt for about 18 to 20 years. And it is this prophet Haggai, along with Zechariah, who come and they say, we must start now to rebuild the temple. Meaning that Zechariah and Haggai were responsible in the temple itself being rebuilded. And Malachi would come a hundred years later, see it fulfilled, and actually become wholly corrupted before the coming of John the Baptist. Now, the author of Haggai is undoubtedly Haggai himself. And he is mentioned in the first chapter and the very first verse. But this Haggai is not to be confused with the Haggai in the book of Esther. 
The Haggai in the book of Esther was a eunuch. And he was Esther's husband, the king's eunuch. A totally different Haggai. Even though the names sound similar, the minor prophet is Haggai, not Haggai from the book of Esther. In fact, this Haggai is mentioned in the book of Ezra. Because we can read in chapter 6 of the Old Testament book Ezra, beginning in verse 14. And the elders of the Jews builded, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Ido. And they builded and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel and according to the commandment of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxes, king of Persia. So what does Ezra chapter 6 verse 14 prove? It proves that Zechariah and Haggai worked together and were instrumental in the conclusion of the rebuilding of the temple, post-exile. And you're going to see that Yahweh God technically has a change of heart through this prophet Haggai. He comes in and he says, I'm ready now for you to rebuild the temple. I'll dwell there. Quite a different mindset than he had during the Exodus when he said he would rather dwell in tents than in a house made with hands. Why would Yahweh God rise up Haggai to prophesy about the rebuilding of the temple and inspire our Judean and Israelite forefathers to complete it if it wasn't the divine will of Yahweh to fulfill these prophecies so that he could send Malachi a hundred years later and say, well, the temple's rebuilt. However, they're offering corrupted sacrifices. So the author most assuredly is Haggai himself. And the theme is about the unfinished temple being built to restore for the worship of Yahweh. And this temple is the same exact temple or Solomon's porch that is in Jerusalem today, or at least fragments thereof, and that Malachi had to contend with. And go in and say, many of these Judeans are sitting where they ought not, because we're supposed to have Levitical priests. Haggai was specifically raised up by Yahweh to encourage the exiles returned from Babylon that they might have fresh hope and a renewed vigor in Yahweh and to inspire them to build. That is why Yahweh God has a change of heart. That is why he says, I will dwell within that house, that he is ready for that house to be built. In this book of Haggai, the prophet rebukes the people for living in covered homes, living comfortably while the house of Yahweh is in disarray and a state of neglect. That, if you will, is the theme of Haggai. Haggai saying, you don't deserve to live in your homes. Why then is it that Yahweh God's house of worship is left in a state of disrepair? Why is it that we are not completing it? And also, in the process, why is it that our ancient Israelites were so bewitched with the Samaritans that withheld the rebuilding of this temple in Jerusalem? So, two times Haggai refers to the future renovations of the heavens by fire. 
Meaning that Haggai, like many of the other minor prophets, has no problem coming in and talking of the first and the second advent. And he says, like everyone else does, that the second advent is a great and terrible day of fire. A day of fire in which all the rudiments and plants that Yahweh God did not plant are rooted up and are burned. So, the prophet here, Haggai, refers to the Messiah as the desire of all Israelite nations. And of course, we're going to cover that in this series. And the series should only be about three hour long sermons in total. It is the 37th book of the Bible. There's only two chapters and a total of 38 verses to be found within it. And there are five direct and distinct messages from God to us that are applicable within these two chapters to our Christian walk in this modern society. And we're going to deal with those as we go along. So to begin, let's now look at the book of the minor prophet Haggai, chapter 1, and let's cover verse 1 where we read. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of Yahweh by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel. Who is Zerubbabel? Well, we're going to deal with that in a moment. But here we learn he's the son of Sheatiel, the governor of Judea, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadesh, the high priest, saying, and we're going to look at what the word of Yahweh that came unto Haggai said. But right here is a very important fact. And that fact is this. That the temple's rebuilding was resumed by Zechariah, his contemporary, and Haggai. And they worked together with the governor, Zerubbabel. And not only that, Joshua, the high priest. Why are these people important and who are they? Well, you know who Joshua is, correct? Joshua, the high priest. What does the name Haggai mean? In Hebrew, Haggai means my holiday. He has one of those odd names that really doesn't have much symbology or tie into the book itself. Haggai means my holiday. Meaning that when this prophet was risen up by Yahweh to prophesy about the rebuilding of the temple that was leveled once upon a time, the holiday was over, in short. Meaning that the Israelites were more concerned with self than the house of worship. And we know from scripture and history even that the house of worship is usually more important than anything else. Because if we as a nation have a sick spiritual state, nothing else will matter. This is why in the old days, in the old west, when they would tame a land, usually one of the first buildings they would build in their new found or fledgling town would be the church. Because they needed the church to inspire their people to continue in restoring or building that town. It's no different in the times of Haggai. But Haggai worked with Joshua the high priest. And that's very important to understand. Haggai means technically festival. And he was the first prophet after the captivities to Babylon. But Zerubbabel, 
means sown in Babylon. Sown in Babylon. That's what the word means in Hebrew. And he was the governor at the time of Haggai and Zechariah. Now, Sheatiel, whom is the father of Zerubbabel, means I have asked God. He was the king of Judah. And he also was taken captive and taken to Babylon. So this is his son, if you will, who? Zerubbabel. And finally, Joshua. You should know what his name means because it means Yahweh is salvation. He was the first high priest after the captivities to Babylon. We don't really have time to look into the characters of these people. Because in this series on Haggai, what we're going to be looking at is the prophecies of Haggai. What he says. And what Haggai says is very poetical. If you enjoy poetry, you'll most assuredly enjoy the book of the words of this minor prophet. Because it has the added bonus of being the word of God. Some prophets like Malachi were straightforward. They would come in and say, you robbed God. How have you done that in tithes and offerings? However, Haggai has poetical themes within his teaching and his prophecies that tie all the way to the book of Revelation. So, the occasion and the theme of the book of Haggai is given right in chapter 1 in the first verse. It was written in the second year of Darius the king. And in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, came the word of Yahweh unto Haggai. Very specific, is it not? Because your mocker will come in and say, well, the Bible was just written by a bunch of men. It's not divinely inspired, really. Then how is it that Haggai is able to give you the very day in which Yahweh came unto him to give the word of the Lord, quote-unquote, or to speak for Yahweh? Remember that a priest is meant to be the messenger of God. And that is exactly what Haggai was. So the word came on to Haggai, and the word said, verse 2, Thus speaketh Yahweh of hosts, saying, This people say the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. So, very simple to understand, is it not? The word that comes on to Haggai, the prophet, is that these people, once again, the Israelite men, women, and children, and the Judeans, by extension, being one tribe of the Israelites, are saying that the time has not come, the time that Yahweh's house should be built. Meaning that Yahweh God is about to come in and say the time is now. But the belief at that time was that it didn't have to happen. Meaning that Haggai was risen up to a group of Israelites that were in spiritual apostasy, technically morally bankrupt. And the temple in Jerusalem was meant to renew their spirit and bring them closer to God. Which is why when the third post-exile prophet enters the scene in the very last book of Malachi, he comes in and basically says it's corrupted and Yahweh God will send Elijah the prophet before the coming and great terrible day of Yahweh. And you're going to find out why it was corrupted in the times of Malachi right here in the book of Haggai. But thus speaketh Yahweh. Understand that point. This isn't Haggai speaking. This is the word of God. 
And if anybody doubts that, the fact that it is still here and codified and has not been disannulled yet in thousands of years, and this was written five to six hundred years before even Christ came, is a testimony to its validity. So this is the Word of God, and this is what Yahweh says, beginning in verse 3, here in Haggai chapter 1. Then came the word of Yahweh by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Question from Yahweh God through Haggai the prophet. You live in your sealed houses, an old English term meaning covered homes. Meaning, their homes, the Israelite men, women, and children at least had a roof, but the temple of Jerusalem did not. And the word that came by Yahweh unto Haggai the prophet says, Is it time for you to dwell in your own houses? And this house, the temple of Jerusalem, lie waste. Meaning, Haggai is about to explain the purpose of his book. The purpose of him being risen up and why Yahweh God would speak through him. And again, that was to inspire us to rebuild and finish the temple. Very important because it was a prophecy of Yahweh God that we would go unto Babylon, that we would return from Babylon. And this was the first attempt of the regathering of Israel under the rebuilding of the temple. But we learn also from the third post-exile prophet Malachi that the regathering of Israel will not happen until the second advent of Yahshua Messiah. When he returns to make up his jewels, quote-unquote. So, the word of Yahweh by Haggai the prophet says, Is it time for you, this is a question, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? It's a question. Continuing on. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Did you notice that that is a commandment? To the Israelites of old. And the commandment is what? Consider your ways. Do we ever stop. To reflect on our ways. If we did. I assure you. We most likely would not make. A lot of the mistakes that we do as people. If we were to stop. And consider our ways. Or even look. At what's going on in the world today. In America and parts of Europe. Yahweh God is about to, through Haggai the prophet, to say how we are cursed as a people. And if we pay close attention to what is said by this minor prophet, you may see that there are many parallels to today's modern society. That we're not much different than the post-exile Israelites during the times of Ezra and Nehemiah. During the times of the prophets Zechariah and Haggai. This was technically Yahweh's last attempt at restoring and regathering the Israelites after they came back from Babylon and had already been dispersed abroad. But more on that later. Consider your ways. That is a command, meaning it cannot be disannulled, and we are expected also, as the sheep, to consider our ways or consider the ways of our nation. So, consider our ways. Why? Verse 6. Ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but have not enough. 
ye drink, but are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put into a bag with holes. Very metaphorical language. But what Haggai the prophet just described to you are the Israelites under captivity. A different type of captivity indeed. Under the governor, Zerubbabel, and under the leadership of Joshua the high priest. But remember, this was all written in the second year of Darius the king. During that time in history. Meaning, that all of these behaviors that we still experience today were proof through this prophet that God was speaking through. That they were captives. And what are some of the signs? We have sown much, but bring in little. Meaning that we go out, we set our hands to the plowshares, we plant the crops, but another gets the increase. Does that sound like today's society, dear kinsfolk? Indeed it does. Because we sow much and we bring in little. And many of us are even wage slaves. And we go and we work 40, sometimes even 60 hours a week. And we bring home a check of which 25 to 50% goes to the governor or the leaders of men in taxes. A polite way of saying a tithe. There's another valuable key here. Skipping forward to chapter 2, verse 8. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, saith Yahweh of hosts. If the silver and the gold belong to Yahweh God, technically the earth and the fullness thereof, then many times kings like Darius or even Caesar will come in, take that gold, stamp their face upon it, and say, you've got to render unto me your time. But who does the gold ultimately belong to? Who does the silver ultimately belong to? Haggai chapter 2 verse 8 says the silver is Yahweh. The gold is Yahweh's. Very important because if we sow much, that is an act of labor, but we bring in little meaning. We don't get increased. We're not paid what we deserve under captivity. We eat, but we don't have enough to eat. Meaning, just like here in America, where probably half of our people are technically considered starving or don't have enough food to eat, they would work, they would do what was required of them, and then at the end of the day, all they would have is a quote-unquote sealed house. They'd have a little shanty with a roof that would keep them out of the rain, but they didn't have enough to sustain themselves. We would eat, but we would not have enough. Verse 6 also says, Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. Meaning it's not adequate. The wages that we make under oppression and under captivity. Our clothing is not the way God would have it. Because we're quote unquote little warm. We may have clothing, we may have rags, and many of us may even live in trailer parks, ghettos, and grogs. That is because we live in a captive state. Under a king. Under the yoke of Yahweh God because we don't put him and his house first. Him and his house first. Now many people have contacted me and say, Pastor Visser, you're spending a lot of time in the minor prophets. And for that I make no apologies. 
Because while we tend to think in Christian identity the temple in Jerusalem has no bearing whatsoever on the four Gospels, we forget that there also is a new Jerusalem. A new Jerusalem. A new temple wherein dwelleth righteousness. So even in the times of Haggai, he would come in and say, this is what you need to do. And many of us would do it. But God felt it was not adequate. So, he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put in a bag with holes. What a beautiful analogy. If we have a bunch of quarters and we throw it within a sock, that is our bag of money, if you will. But if there's a hole in that sock, we're going to lose most of what we work for. Therefore, the allegory and the imagery here is that we earn wages, but we put them in a bag and they fall out the bottom of the bag. The workers in the times of Haggai were working, but it was barely enough to keep warm. It was barely enough to have a home that they could be proud enough to visit with other Israelites within. Meaning them then, like now, lived under an oppressive government because every government of men is oppressive. This is why Joshua, before entrance into the land of Canaan, would say, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether it be the God of the Ammonites, the Amorites, etc. If it's Baal, then choose Baal. But if it's Yahweh, choose Yahweh. Why is that important? Well, one, it proves we have free will to choose. But number two, oftentimes, even if we think we are living and blessed without God, We simply are not. We are just like this. We sow much. We work many hours. But we bring in little. Because a majority of that goes towards feeding the non-white nations as it did then in the times of Haggai. It would go to the Samaritans. It would go to the Amorites. But the Israelites were the last to receive their full wage. Malachi says that many of the people in the finished temple considered themselves to be priests, but they would oppress the hireling in his wages. That's what we're reading about right here, that the Israelites were oppressed in their wages and did not bring home what was due them, what they even had earned, because the governors and the rulers of men were taking that tithe that was meant to be Yahweh. So, truly, we live in an era where we earn wages but it equates to putting it in a bag with holes. And your dollar that you earn now is worth 10% what it was a decade ago. And everything is twice as much. What is that proof of? That we also are under a form of captivity in the era that we're living in right now. Remember the promises of Yahweh God are if we will contend for that birthright, if we will persevere and overcome And we will do it His way. We will always be the head. But if we disobey Him, we become the tail. And the enemy becomes the head. And we ultimately end up living just like this. We're poor. We don't have enough food. We're living in rags. And our homes are barely sufficient to bring forth children. You don't think this is happening today? Compare the 50s to today's era. In the 50s, one man could go, he could work, he could support a wife, 
three to five children and live, truly live that white picket fence dream, at least here in America. But now it's impossible. In fact, now it requires more than just the men going to work and being oppressed within their wages. Now, in 2016, it usually requires both the woman and the man to work, the mother and the father. So if we consider our ways, if we consider what we're doing, we should be able to see that the oppression we are dealing with is because of disobedience to God's Word. Yahweh's Word that came unto prophets like Haggai. That's why the minor prophets are so important. If we don't have a good grasp on the minor prophets, all twelve of them, you simply will not understand a lot of the reasons why Yahshua came. And you most assuredly will not understand why He did the things He did. Like overturning the table of the money changers in the same temple that was rebuilt. Telling the imposters that they made His Father's house a den of thieves. Well, it was a den of thieves in the times of Malachi. Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry broadcast. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the Gospel and would like to be a part of our fellowship, be sure to write to us at CPM Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205, or give us a call at 678-692-8870. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.org, where you will find direct access to our extensive selection of audio sermons. You can also listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast on your mobile audio devices. Our sermons and videos are made possible by your tithes and offerings. If you wish to support this ministry, please make your checks or money orders payable to Covenant People's Ministry or use the donate button on our website to use PayPal. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all and is an all that have been renewed in His Holy Spirit so we hope that you will allow him to lead your life and help to build his church so that when he returns, he will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply his words to your lives. It has been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. And you're about to see that even though Haggai and Zechariah came to inspire our forefathers, and they ultimately finished the temple. The temple was not above corruption. This is why Yahweh God knew all along during the Exodus, and why He would say, I would rather dwell in a tent, or wherever two or more are gathered, there I am in the midst of them. But there technically truly is no brick and stone mortar House of God, quote-unquote. Just because we build a house, put a cross on it, and say it's the house of God, does not mean Yahweh dwells there. And the temple of Jerusalem, Solomon's temple, was meant to reflect that. It was the grandest temple of all time at that point in history. And it still is in a lot of regards. Jesus Christ even gives validity to Solomon when he says, of all the children... Born amongst the Israelites, there was none wiser than Solomon. Why? It wasn't because Solomon was a sinner. It wasn't because he took a thousand concubines. It was because he was the one who began building the temple. 
And while it went through many stages, and many people laid siege on it, and it was rebuilt, and Malachi says, I'll send you the spirit of Elijah, and Christ came, he'd prophesy against it. By 70 A.D., it was sacked. It was already destroyed again. For technically the final time. In Malachi, it is the Edomites who say, we will return and we will rebuild the desolate places. Therefore, in the book of Haggai, we're learning what the desolate place is. It had been forgotten. And the Israelites would rise up every morning, work nine to five, if you will, like they did under the captivity of Egypt, Assyria, the Syrian, and most assuredly, like they did in Babylon. They were delivered from that, but they still stayed within those behaviors. They still were oppressed and they didn't get what? The full amount that they had earned. The full blessing from the heavens because the temple remained unfinished. Very important to understand. Yahweh God was willing in this book to come and dwell within that temple. In fact, it's one of the very reasons Haggai the prophet was risen up to inspire us to build. That is why, in verse 7, it's reiterated. Thus saith Yahweh of hosts, consider your ways. Two times now, Yahweh God has given a commandment. In verse 5, now in verse 7. And that commandment is the same. Consider your ways. Why would He say that? Perhaps it is because in light of what you just learned about us sowing much and bringing in little, if we consider our ways, we should be able to understand we need to put God and His house first. And if we don't, this is how we live every single time. And I assure you, my friends, it's only going to get worse down here. Whether it's Trump or Hillary, as long as we as a nation do not put Yahweh God first, as long as we don't listen to the true prophets of God, which are all written right here in the Word, and as long as we do not consider our ways as a people, we will continue in slavery. We'll be a wage slave. You'll go to work like they did under Pharaoh's yoke, and likely complain when you're delivered during the Exodus and say we'd rather go back and make bricks with no straw. Because at least we had a what? A sealed house. At least we had a meager shanty. Don't be that way. That is the way man operates. Wicked kings will come in and oppress you. They'll take the gold that belongs to your heavenly Father, stamp their name upon it, and get you to work because they're charging you a fine to use the air, electricity, and all the things that Yahweh God freely gives you. Just the fact that you're paying a utility in the land of the free is proof that we are still in captivity. That we still work for men for the gold that belongs to God. Because men rob God. And Malachi confirms that. Second time it is reiterated. Consider your ways. This is what Yahweh says. Then he continues in verse 8. Go up to the mountain and bring wood. And build the house. And I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified. These are two promises to Israel concerning the temple. They're both found right here in verse 8. Yahweh says, I will take pleasure in the temple if you complete it. And He says, I will be glorified in that temple if you complete it. Is Yahweh God lying? 
No, what Yahweh is saying through Haggai here is his intent. His intention at this point in history was that the temple could be finished. His intention for that temple was that his name would be glorified within it. But by the time of Malachi, the priests had no glory within that name. They didn't revere it. Only a hundred years after the fact. So that's the point in history that these prophecies were given. 600 years B.C., before Yahshua would come, and it was technically God's attempt at restoring and regathering the tribes. But the priests would come in, then, like now, and tell the people what they want to hear. And they'd come in, they'd say, hey, you know what? It is vain to serve God. At least that was their mindset. Well, you see here, the Israelites thought it was vain to put the house of God first. And the intention of God is that He'll take pleasure in it, finally, and He'll be glorified within it, which relies on us to glorify Him. But we didn't glorify Him. We would erect false prophets then, like now, that would tell us what we want to hear. That we're respecters of persons. And this is why, ultimately, Yahshua would have to come and go triumphantly into Jerusalem and spend an upwards of a week during the last week of His life railing against those that had made his father's house a den of thieves. So, God says, go to the mountain and bring wood and build the house. What house is this? This is the house of God, and this is in reference to the returning exiles. They were technically commanded here to gather material and build the temple, with the view of starting up the ancient Mosaic worship again. The temple was meant to be the place where the burnt offering was. But a hundred years later, when Malachi comes, we learn that they were offering corrupted sacrifices. Nothing new under the sun, my friend. God here in verse 8 is saying, go to the mountain, bring in supplies, chop down trees, build the house, and I'll take pleasure in it, and I'll be glorified, saith Yahweh. Now we don't need to have the blueprints laid out here, because those are provided by Solomon. In the book of Kings, the grand design of this temple was given to Solomon. Perhaps you've read about this before. There was a holiest of holies and a holier of holies. There was a veil of the temple. There was the temple itself. There was the outer court, the inner court. It's all outlined within the book of Kings and the book of Chronicles. But what's interesting about the temple is that on all the walls and over the very Ark of the Covenant, or the mercy seat itself, were angels, cherubs, with wings outstretched. With wings outstretched. Very important also to understand in light of the third post-exile minor prophet Malachi. Because one of the things he says in his final chapter is that the Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in His wings. Even the temple itself was not sufficient. It was always designed for Yahshua to come and fulfill that law. The law pertaining to sacrifices. So God says in verse 8, I'll take pleasure in it and I'll be glorified. At least that's His intention. And that is His will for the very temple. Verse 9. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why? Saith Yahweh of hosts. 
because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man into his own house. Can't you see that Yahweh God says we must put him first? If we neglect the house of the Lord, then we as a nation, the ecclesia, or the body of Christ, the church, I could say in short, will fall into slavery, will fall under a curse. We will nationally be spiritually sick. Again, morally bankrupt. God says go to the mountain, get wood, build. Earn wages. And this statement, consider your ways or just consider, actually appears in the book of Haggai, both chapters, five times in total. Consider our ways. Yahweh wants you to consider. Why is it that we should be blessed? Why is it that we should get the full tithe or the full wage? Why is it that we can live in a nice home with a nice roof, keeping the elements of the weather off of us and our families, when the temple of Jerusalem, which is meant to be Yahweh's very own house where the Lord dwells, where the very Ark of the Covenant was to be placed within. Why is that in disarray? Yahweh God says, Ye looked for much, and it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. There are two reasons given right here as to why the Israelites did not prosper. One is because God's house was waste, and there was simply no effort made whatsoever to rebuild it. We learned that in verse 9. We just read it. And the second is because every man was selfish and they only provided for themselves houses and they enjoyed them for themselves. There was no concern for the house of God. Does that remind you of our era? Indeed it should. Because many of us even have good bosses, right, at work. But they're not concerned for the things of Yahweh. They're only concerned in increasing, stepping on people. Exploiting people. That's the opposite of God. If we put God first, God can bless His people. And we as a nation will not be cursed. We as a nation will be able to sow much and bring in much as opposed to little. We'll be able to eat and have enough as opposed to walk around in a perpetual state of starvation. We'll be able to fill with drink. Meaning we'll be able to eat, drink, and be merry truly if God is put first on a national level. National level. This word is for who? Unlike Malachi, it's not for the priest. These are for the people. The Israelites. And the Judeans. The people are whom Haggai is trying to inspire to finish the temple. And he's basically in chapter 1, in the first 12 verses or so, explaining why it is. Saying why we're cursed. And how we can obtain a blessing. He even goes on to say that God will take pleasure. He will be glorified in it. But also, that God will blow upon the things that we bring home. Our own wages. It is the divine providence and the will of God that if we do not put Him first, and we do not go into His temple like we do now, where most people watch TV on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings, these curses will pour out more and more. And the irony of the curses is we think curse. We think fire from heaven. We think snakes attacking people. Frogs, locusts, right? Anthrax being sent on the children of Israel. But very few people think about having to work 
for the blessings that God freely gives us. That is a form of captivity. And God is basically saying, why is it we're working for ourselves instead of working together as a people to rebuild the church? Meaning, God is wondering why it wasn't in our mind all along. Therefore, He can say five times in this book, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Because if you're not being blessed and you reevaluate yourself, nine times out of ten you will find you're not putting God first. And Jerusalem, the city that killed the prophets, most assuredly wasn't doing that with this temple. And that is why God has to rise up Haggai. Haggai says, go into the woods. Chop down some trees. Do something for God. But every single one of us, we're doing things for ourselves, not for our neighbor. So, ye, the Israelites, looked for much, and lo, it came to little, just like today. We work because we want to increase in life, right? We want to have a better life than we have now. And it comes to little. Why? Because we're disobedient. And when we bring it home, God Himself blew upon it. Why? saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is laid waste. Verse 10. Therefore, the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. The heavens and the earth. Remember in Scripture, we're instructed that we're looking forward to a new heavens and a new earth, wherein righteousness dwells. But here, what are we learning? God Himself says, that the heaven is stayed from the dew. That He's not sending the rain and the latter rain. That the natural cycle or the natural order Yahweh God set up in the beginning is now perverted. What does that mean? That means God is controlling the curses. He even confirms that in the same verse. The earth is stayed from her fruit. If the earth is not bringing forth its increase, that explains why verse 6 says, We so much but bring in little. Do you honestly think you can go out and have the biggest vineyard and if God doesn't bless it, you're going to have any grapes at all? The increase is provided by Yahweh. Therefore, if we plant, again, a proverbial vineyard, like the Israelites did of old, back then or now, if we're not amply blessed, God is in control of that. God controls the heavens and the earth. God sends the rain or the dew. God also is the one who causes the earth to stay from her fruit. Why? Man is designed to reap what they sow. Christ taught that. He says you judge every tree according to their fruit. But in a time of being cursed and in a time of national apostasy, it doesn't matter how many seeds you plant. And I'm speaking both physical and metaphorical here. We're to plant the seed, right, within the minds of our brothers and sisters about God's Word. But only Yahweh God can cause that seed to grow. If we plant an apple tree, only Yahweh God can have that tree bring forth fruit. And that's exactly what God is saying. He's not saying, man is cursing you, like he did in Malachi. What he's saying here is we're cursing ourselves. And what is the reason? There's only one given here so far. And we're ten verses into chapter one. The reason was, is that God's house remained desolate. It wasn't being rebuilt. Perhaps sometime in the future, I'll bring a sermon on the bewitching of the Samaritans. 
and really give a strong analysis and a look into what happened, what caused the rebuilding of the temple to be ceased. And why even Christ would come later using the Samaritans in His own parables, like the Good Samaritan. Israelites time and time again would fail. And what we're reading about here in Haggai is no different. They failed because they put themselves first. They were selfish. They didn't put God first. Because that would have required faith, knowing that had they put God first, none of this would have happened. We would have sown and we would have brought in the full increase, as is the promise of Yahweh God. Therefore, Yahweh speaks through Haggai, and Haggai says what? I am causing the heaven to stay from the dew. And I am causing the earth to stay from her fruit. Meaning that Yahweh God is pouring out the curse. Why is any of this important? Because it should be obvious that if we put God first, if we are found within His quote-unquote house being the proverbial body of Christ, we can avoid many woes. And not only that, we won't be oppressed as in hireling within our wages. God wants you to have the full bounty, the full gift. He always did. But because we would let the temple stay in a state of disarray, or a hundred years later, we would erect false priests to come in and tell us what we wanted to hear. God has no choice but to stay the dew and to stay the fruit and to pour out a national curse. All of this is very similar to the era that we find ourselves within today. Because I'm sure many of my listeners are familiar with the fact that they work or so much and they don't bring anything. We work to find clothing, but we're never warm enough. We're never satiated. The worm dieth not. This is a sign. The first key of Haggai is you are in captivity and you're in captivity because God is not in your life. Nationally, in the city of Jerusalem, in the Grand Temple, and personally, because they would rather go in their own shanties or hovels and didn't care. If they'd have had faith, they could have brought themselves out. And secondly, if they would have obeyed, God wouldn't have had to risen up Haggai or Zechariah or Malachi to say, time and time again, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Eighteen years, the temple sat there in a state of disarray. And for 18 years it did not stop the Israelites and the Judeans that dwelt within the city of Jerusalem getting up every day, going to work, being a tax collector, being a prostitute even, and having to pay a tithe to Uncle Scam or Big Brother Esau Edom. Therefore the heaven over you has stayed from the dew, and the earth has stayed from her fruit. Verse 11. And... I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. Why? Because if we're not putting our hands to labor to rebuild or build the house of God, If we put our hands to labor for self, 
it'll bring you nothing and come to naught. Notice, I called for a drought, that is Yahweh God. I called upon the mountains and upon the corn and upon the new wine. Corn. How much corn grows in the Middle East, my friend? <laughs> Versus how much corn grows in the new Jerusalem, being USA. How much corn do you think grew at the times then when most of our people were shepherds, not farmers? The usage of this word is very important because it also proves that whether we live in that land in the Middle East back then or America, Europe, South Africa, Germany, wherever we find ourselves, if God calls for a drought, there's nothing we can do. And if God controls the oil, the ground, men, Cattle. He also controls all the labors of the hands. What's this mean? If we're breeding cattle, we're not going to have as many as we should if we don't put God first. Makes sense, right? Only God will increase us with the firstlings so that we can give them to Him. But if we don't give them to Him, huh, what's going to happen? God's going to do just this. So, he goes through all of this. Haggai, in chapter 1, gives his occasion and theme. He gives his authorship and no salutation. He goes right into chastising us. He says, this people say, the time has not come. The time that Yahweh's house should be built. That's verse 2 in chapter 1 here. And then the prophecy that Haggai gives is to restore Judah. And he gives a ninefold judgment and the very reason. So, in conclusion of today's study of three... We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 5. We read in verse 5. And now go to. I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up. Break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden. And I will lay it waste, and it shall not be pruned nor digged. But there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds, that they rain no rain upon it. Why? Verse 7. For the vineyard of Yahweh of hosts is the house of Israel. The vineyard of Yahweh of hosts is who? His people. The house of Israel. Right there we just learned a key when we get to the parables of Yahshua. When he talks about the unjust judge or the unjust servant. And he talks about the vineyard. Who do you think that vineyard is? Well, the Bible just told you. The vineyard of Yahweh of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah, his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression. He looked for righteousness, but behold, a crime. Woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field, till there be no place, that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. Do you see how that ties to Haggai? Because that's exactly what we and our forefathers were doing in the city of Jerusalem. Stacking our houses house to house. And saying, hey, you know what? God's house is in disarray. But God already said here, did He not, in Isaiah chapter 5, that He'll send the rain or He'll withhold the rain. Verse 11, back in Haggai verse 1, I called for a drought upon the land and upon the mountains and upon the corn. You not see from Isaiah how it ties together. So what did we learn today in these first 11 verses? 
to be found within the book of the minor prophet Haggai. We learn that God is in control of all things. Secondly, we need to put Him first. If we don't make the worship of God, or quote-unquote God's house, top priority, we will be oppressed. Many people do this. They don't understand that it takes a leap of faith to put Yahshua first in all things. And if we do that, everything else will be added. But if we lean to our own understanding and we have this mindset, like we read about in verse 2, when we as a people say the time has not come, the time that Yahweh's house should be built, then we will continue to spiral worse and worse. On the same token, if we will say, let's build the house, let's put God first, then it will not continue. It will not continue these curses. Can we turn back the locust armies? Most likely not. Can we ever again become the head and not the tail? Most likely not. It really will require Yahshua to return and make up His jewels to restore Israel. But all of this was an attempt, not on God's part, because He's omnipotent. And He knew what would happen. But God is always fair. Completely, 100% fair. And even in His statements here, I'll take pleasure in the house of Jerusalem. I'll be glorified within the house of Jerusalem. Shows His intent. His intent. Because it never came to be. He was never glorified then. And He wasn't glorified now. Christ even confirmed that. He said, you've made my Father's house a den of thieves. So, the theme of this first part of our three-part look into the prophet Haggai centers around the fact that we are being called to rebuild the temple, our forefathers. And there is a specific reason. God says, I'll take pleasure in it. I'll be glorified. Meaning that had He took pleasure in it because He was truly glorified within it, then it wouldn't have come to naught. We wouldn't have the book of Malachi. Yahshua wouldn't have come the way He did. It was all part of God's divine plan. I hope that this sermon has edified you, and I pray that you will stay with me for the second part and continuation of our series and look into the book of the minor prophet Haggai. So, until next time, this is Pastor Visser from Brooks, Georgia, and the Covenant People's Church, wishing you and yours great studies, war for Christ. Amen. Covenant People's Ministry. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you have enjoyed studying with us. Remember the words that Christ has given, that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We hope that you will gather together with us at the online ministry's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.org, and share your Christian testimonies, or ask questions and enjoy biblical fellowship. You can also order CDs of Pastor Visser's Bible study lessons and enjoy many other Christian resources through the church's website. If you would like to write to us, send your comments and queries to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205, or reach us by telephone at 678-692-8870. We thank you for your prayers and offerings. And we pray that all of you have been touched by these messages and continue to share the words of the gospel with your friends and family. 
Thanks again, and may the love of Christ abide in you and yours forever and ever. Amen.